0: when what she lets you eat junk food when everyone else is on a diet okay what do you love about your mommy you love everything about now yours comment just got better than everybody else's because you love everything about I love that that's so cool do you want to do one what do you love about your mommy You love that she's someone you can go to on hard times. That's awesome. What do you love about your mommy? Almost everything. Almost everything, okay. Everything. Okay, everything. We'll change that, we'll, we'll scrub that from the record. You love everything. Same with my stepmom. Same with your stepmom. That's perfect. What do you love about your mommy? What? How she loves you. Wonderful. Now, just for the record, she did say. I think she said "mommy," so that was what she's participating in today. Just saying "mommy," that's awesome. Now, let me ask you guys another question. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. What are what are mommies supposed to do? Okay, so lift your hand if you want to tell me. Okay, what are mommies supposed to do? Teach the word and make us prepared for when we get older. Teach the word and help prepare you for when you get older. That's right, Mama. I love that. Good. What are mom What is What are mommy supposed to do? Raise you right. Raise you upright. Okay. What are mommy supposed to do? I'll come back. What? You guys speak louder. I can't hear you. Teach you school. Teach you school. Yes. Good. What are mommy supposed to do? Take care of you and raise you right. Take care of you and raise you right. Good. Anybody else? want... One- any other one? So, we love our mommies, right? Did you know that your mommy's a gift from God to you? To raise you up, to teach you about the Lord, teach you how to love Jesus. So make sure today that you give your mommy a big kiss and a big hug, all right? So the word of the day today is mother, all right? Mother. All right, go sit down. Thank you for coming up here. Were any of you mothers with kids up here nervous about what your kid was going to say? (laughs) I feel like every Mother's Day, I have to begin my sermon with the same thing. And that is with a very clear, concise apology to my mom for everything I put her through. My mom, along with all the rest of you moms in here, are required by God to have a huge amount of faith to raise your kids. And I got an amen for the moms, right? Oh, let's try it again. And I got an amen for the moms. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. There's some things that I need to clear the air about for my mom. And on behalf of all of the rest of you who have mothers. I want to apologize today. For the time that I thought that I could make it from the couch to the wooden footrest in one jump. And didn't. And smashed my face on the wooden footrest and have the scar from the stitches to prove it. I need to apologize to my mom for the time I thought it would be a good idea to organize a game of tag on the eagle's nest. Do y'all remember that from elementary school? I don't even think they have these anymore. It's basically a death trap of bars, take a bowl, flip it upside down, a bunch of monkey bars like this in a big circle. They don't have those anymore. There's a reason because when you play tag on those and you fall from the very top, you can sprain or break your wrist. That's what I did. I feel like I need to apologize for the call my mom got to come get me and rush me to the emergency room. She got more than she bargained for in a son who loves to ride motorcycles, who flies airplanes, um, who packed it up one day and decided to move to Florida to go to college, received a call to be a pastor, and not just a normal pastor, but one who starts churches, who received a call to now come to Key West, Florida to be a pastor and almost be as far away from my hometown as physically possible and still be in the United States. I'm sure throughout my life, and I'm sure throughout your life, your mother often asked the Lord, God, what is my role here? What do you want from me? How do you want me to raise this kid? Moms, you ever ask that question? Good, okay, so we'll go on with the message because that's what this is about. The challenge is the world and the people of this world and our pop culture is very ready to tell you how you're supposed to live, moms. Did you know that? Do you feel that's true? You turn on the TV, you go on the internet, use social media, and there's never a problem with someone telling you how you're supposed to live. By what standards you're supposed to live. How you're supposed to raise those kids. What you're supposed to think. That often leaves us asking the question of of how, how am I supposed to raise my kids? How am I supposed to function in this godly role as a mother, as a wife? So today, I'm going to tell you what the Bible has to say about that question. How can I be a godly mother? Would you all like to know that? All right, how can I be a godly mother? Well, the Bible says a godly mother performs two roles. Number one, a godly mother loves Jesus. Number two, a godly mother loves others. And that's all we're going to talk about today. As a mother, this is what God wants from you. Number one, love God. Love Jesus, who is God. Number two, love other people. And that's what we're going to talk about. All this surrounded, all this is, is, is sort of, uh, finds its foundation in Matthew chapter 22, which is our text for today that we're going to look at. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew 22, verse 37. And we'll have the words on the screen. You've got Bibles in your pews, whatever you want to do there. Open your phone. But let me introduce this particular text for you this morning. The religious leaders had been seeking for some time to put Jesus in a corner and, and try to get Jesus to stumble on his words, to try and get Jesus to say something that was unbiblical and inappropriate for which they could arrest him and put him to death. So at this point in Jesus's ministry, The religious leaders want him dead. They don't just want him to stop breathing. They want his whole movement to be snuffed out from religious life for the Israelites. And normally, the religious leaders don't collaborate, right? So you have the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and then you have the teachers of the law, kind of like the lawyers of the day. And all of these people... They all are sort of like different theological camps within Judaism. They all have very specific theological beliefs, and and oftentimes they would get together and sort of argue about these things in which they differ. And as you know, if you're on Twitter or Facebook, nothing's changed. We still do that, right? Okay. That was supposed to be funny, but apparently nobody uses Facebook or Twitter and sees what pastors do on there. All right. They argue about theological things. That's what they do on on Twitter. So, nothing's changed. This is what was happening in the day. Now, what's unique about this particular instance is the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes were kind of like, out in the desert so they didn't really come in very often they weren't really included here and then the the teachers of the law are like the lawyers of judaism they all had actually come together and and they were actually unified around the idea of getting rid of jesus like jesus was a problem for all of them they all wanted him gone so they all get together and they're going to ask jesus this big question And so what they do is they go and they find the very best lawyer. They can find, right? This, this guy is going to know the law. He's going to know his Old Testament. He's going to be able to argue. And he's going to be able to corner Jesus with questions and get him to say something that they can testify about in order to get rid of Jesus, right? So they take the very best lawyer, right? He's in his polished suit, right? He's coming in, and he's going to really give it to Jesus. And they ask him this age-old question, which you'll see in Matthew 22, verse 36. teacher. Which is the great commandment of the law? Or what's the most important commandment in all of the law, in all the Old Testament? Now this is a question that caused significant debate among religious leaders of the day. Like, someone in the group would ask this question, and they would literally argue about it all day, right? This is kind of like, if you were to come to Key West... And say, "What is the best crust in key lime pie?" Is it pie crust? No. Is it graham cracker crust? Pie crust? Pie crust? It- graham cracker crust. Okay. Pie crust? Graham cracker crust. Okay, whipped cream on the top, meringue, Meringue. whipped cream, Meringue. meringue, okay, right, but these arguments, they weren't, they weren't as cheerful as that, they weren't smiling, it would be more like this, the University of Florida is the very best football team in the whole state of Florida, Florida State is the very best football team in all of Florida. University of Miami is the best football team in all of Florida. Oh, (laughs) oh, harsh. So instead of people cheering and yelling and smiling when they would bring up this question, what's the greatest commandment, people would have an opinion, a very, very real opinion, a, a, a very thought-out opinion, and they would argue about this. So they think they're going to catch Jesus, right? So they ask him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? So the, the, the law of Moses, and through the work of rabbis over the years, they, they had 613 commandments by the time of Jesus to obey. 613. So they're asking Jesus, of the 613 commandments, what is the single greatest, most important commandment? And now they come to Jesus in order to trap him. But, you know, Jesus loves people, right? And and he's not going to waste an opportunity to show them the truth of God's word. And so Jesus actually turns this around on its head and uses it as an opportunity to teach them something. So he answers in Matthew 22, verse 37 and 38. It says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, And with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. This is the one commandment through which you interpret all the law. If you're going to do one thing with your life, this is it love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is, of course, a quotation of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Something the Jews called the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. Something that they would pray at least three times a day to God as a part of their worship of him. The fact that Jesus states that we must love God with all our heart, soul, and mind indicates that we are to love God, that we are to love his son Jesus with all that we are. With with everything that we can muster. With everything we are to give, we are to give it to God. While the Jews certainly had hundreds of commands to obey, Jesus takes the crowd back to the basics. And what Jesus commands them to do as the first and greatest commandment to love God really covers the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. Worship no other gods. Do not have any graven images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. All of those first four can be articulated in Jesus' statement. Love God, because that's how you love Him. What does it mean to love God? How can you be a mother? How do you fulfill your role as a mother? By loving God. Well, Blomberg writes... That loving God is a wholehearted devotion to God with every aspect of our being. From whatever angle one chooses to consider it, emotionally, volitionally, or cognitively. Thus, this kind of love for God will result in obedience to all that he commanded, right? So, if the Jews are loving God, they will fulfill the law, because fulfillment of the law is loving God, because God gave them the law. Now, how do we apply that to our lives today? How do we love God? Well, Jesus tells us in John 14 verse 15, he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Love for Jesus bubbles up from inside of us. So, we don't obey Jesus in his word and thus receive his love, right? Jesus loved you when you were a sinner, right? Jesus loved you before you before you loved him. So obeying him is the fruit of our love for him. And this is what Jesus calls us to do. It bubbles up from within us. It, Our love for him compels us to do what he asks us to do. I think a mother's love for her family is one of the best ways to illustrate this in our lives. And I'll tell you what, I've seen the mothers of Fifth Street demonstrate love for their families in some amazing ways. And they don't do this to earn love back from their families. Mothers, why do you make sacrifices for your families and especially for your kids? It's because you love them, right? Your love for your kids compels you to sacrifice for them. You don't even have to think about it, right? It just happens. Many of you sacrifice your desires... The things the world says that you should do or be to be a woman of importance, you've laid that aside to fulfill what God says is important for a woman. You are compelled to do so because of your love for family. We are called to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, even at the expense of of our reputations, our futures, even our lives. Loving Jesus is the single most important thing that you will ever do with your life. And so if you're a mother here today and you're wondering, what is it that God wants from you? The single first most important thing God wants from you is to love Jesus. Doesn't that make things clear? It doesn't necessarily make it easy, but it does make it clear. In a day, in a time, and in a culture when the, muddies, when the waters are muddied and truth is fuzzy, God brings down a hammer with clarity and love. Love Jesus put Jesus first. That's the first thing God calls you to do. A godly mother loves Jesus. Number two, a godly mother loves her neighbor. Jesus continues in Matthew 22, verse 39, giving them even a next step, right? They didn't ask him for this. This is like bonus. This is, this is something they weren't planning on, and so he continues in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. So he says, the first and greatest commandment is love God. The, the second, he said, is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is not easy to love other people, is it? Testify, anybody? Okay. It is not easy to love other people. And I'll tell you something. It is not easy to love my fellow Key Westerners or the people in Key West while I'm driving. Let me tell you about an event that taught me how to love other people. So I'm on Roosevelt. I'm heading downtown toward, you know, Duval. And I'm, I, I come over. Um, I'm, not, I'm not quite to White Street yet, but I'm driving down that direction. And things are going pretty good, right? So I stay in the middle, uh, the left lane, because I know that, that coming up at a light that the right lane is going to close and turn right only, right? So we're driving, we're all in line. Everybody's in line, just like you're supposed to be. If you love other people, then you get over early. (laughs) I'm driving down the street. What do I see to the right? There's a gentleman who doesn't need to wait in line like the rest of us. He's not a tourist who's lost. He knows this lane's ending to a right only. He's trying to get in front of all of us and then scoot over. So, I feel compelled in my flesh to teach that guy a lesson. (laughs) Someone needs to teach him that you can't do that. Right? And so, I know y'all don't ever do this. Pull up a little closer to the bumper in front of me. You're not coming over here. I'm not even going to look over there. All of a sudden, I can't even turn my head. I'm just driving straight. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. I, and then, of course, I made the mistake of looking. There he is. He's right there looking at me. <laughs> Blinkers on. I slow down. I let him in. He was probably a true. He was probably one of y'all. <laughs> so he's in front of me. So finally, I'm like, all right, God taught me a lesson. God wasn't done teaching my lesson of humility yet. We continue on. What happens after I get through that light? Here comes a golf cart right through the stop sign. Didn't stop. Wings it right in front of me, right? I slam on my brakes. He's got, that's like one of those, like six seaters. There's people hanging off the back of that thing. That thing, unfortunately, can only go about 15 miles an hour. I don't know why. The right blinker's on the whole time. I'm slowing down like, oh, why did I? Then at that point, you're wondering, why did I even come here? Why? I mean, why am I driving downtown? Why did I decide to do this? Finally, they actually do turn right. The next block, two bicyclists, right? Run the stop sign, cut me off. We're not going to ride down this street single file. We're going to do it too wide. Here we go. And we're not riding. This isn't like a, like a, like a race for them. Like This is a, a Sunday drive. I can't pass them. There's cars on both sides. And so all the way down to Duval, five miles an hour. That was God's lesson for me on how to love other people when they're unlovable. (laughs) Because really, that's what God calls us to do, right? When Jesus says, love other people, what's interesting about this is Jesus is actually quoting a passage out of Leviticus 19.18. Let me just read this to you. It says, "You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord." So the original quote in our original command from God in Leviticus is that the Israelites are supposed to love each other, right? Fellow Israelites. Then Jesus comes along, and he articulates this in Matthew chapter five on who we're supposed to love. All of a sudden, he just cracks this thing wide open. Who are they supposed to love? Everybody. In fact, according to Matthew 5, 43, we're even supposed to love our enemies. It's like now Jesus is stepping on our toes, right? Yes, he wants you to love the four wide group of bicyclists that just cut you off. He wants you to love the person that hates you, that injures you, the person who caused you quite a bit of pain in the past, We're to love all of them. That's not easy, is it? And and God actually articulates the way we're to love each other in the last six of the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother and father. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. Do not covet. All of those are summed up in the second most important command, to love others as you love yourself. Now listen, listen, we're really good at loving ourselves. And that sounds kind of weird, right? How, how do we love ourselves? Well, you wake up in the morning and you take care of yourself, right? We bathe ourselves, we brush our teeth, we comb our hair, we pick out clothes. If, if you were to approach an oven and grab a hot pan, you immediately let go of that pan because you have an instinct of self-preservation. We're very good at loving ourselves. Jesus wants us to love other people the same way, with the same intensity, that we love ourselves. He's not only appealing to our self-preservation instinct, he he appeals to all of our aspects of selfness, like our self-confidence, our self-reliance, our self-discipline. Jesus essentially commands us to seek after the complete welfare of other people the same way, to the same degree, that we seek after our own welfare. John Piper writes about this command. He says, it's overwhelming because it seems to demand that I tear the skin off my body and wrap it around another person so that I feel that I am that other person. And all the longings that I have for my own safety, my my own health, my own success, my own happiness, I now feel for other people. The same way I satisfy, I seek to satisfy my own hunger and thirst, my desire to be loved, my desire to be a part of something, and to be a part of a family, a, a part of what God has for me, I seek that for other people. Now that seems impossible, right? It feels impossible. Piper continues, he says, it is an absolutely staggering commandment. So let's get it clear here. What Jesus is saying to the, the Pharisees, religious leaders, and the crowds that have gathered by this time What he's telling them to do, they are going to recognize that it is impossible to do those things. It is impossible to perfectly love God all the time, right? Because we don't always obey him. It's impossible to perfectly love other people all the time because we just don't do that. It's staggering. Piper says, if this is what it means, then something unbelievable... And powerful and earth-shaking and reconstructing and overturning and upending will have to happen to our souls, right? That's why Jesus came. Jesus came and gave his life on the cross, was buried in the ground and rose again on the third day because we cannot love God on our own. Because we cannot obey God on our own. In fact, we won't do it. We don't want to do it. Jesus came and died on the cross. He was buried in the ground. And he rose again on the third day because we cannot love other people the way that we love ourselves. That's why Jesus came. And I think that's what his message here to this crowd, to these religious leaders, is angled toward. The hope is that they would hear that and they would go back to Jesus and say, I can't fulfill those commandments. And if someone had done that, I do believe Jesus would have told them how that would be done on their behalf by their Savior. How do we love others as ourselves? Like when the rubber hits, hits the road, meets the road. How do we actually do that? First, we must submit to the greatest need in our life, which is to turn from sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then we've got to tell other people about it. If the single most important command for us in life is to love God, and we know that we cannot love God without a relationship with Jesus, then the single most loving thing that we could ever do for anybody else is to tell them about Jesus to help them down the path of salvation. Romans three twenty three says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same boat. We've all sinned and fallen short. And, and 6, six twenty three says, The wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we've all fallen short, but God's given us this gift. Romans 5, 8 says, But, but God shows us his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, We need to tell them about what Jesus did for us on the cross. His death and resurrection. And finally, the good news in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The single most loving thing you can do for anybody ever in this life is to tell them that. To encourage them to repent and believe in Jesus. To lead them to a a life of purpose, love, and reconciliation with God. How else do we love others? By caring for those in greatest need. The Bible is clear about this. We're gonna kind of put clothes on this idea of loving other people. And we actually want to know how to do that. The Bible is clear. Can you think of a more important way to love other people than to love people whom the world has forgotten? To love the unlovable? The ones the world chooses not to see? James 1:27 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Isaiah 1.17 commands us to learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, to bring justice to the fatherless, and to plead the widow's cause. Jeremiah 22.3 says, Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. So how do we love others? First, we tell them about Jesus. Second, we find the others that the world has forgotten, those who are in greatest need of our love, like orphans. Which is why we're taking the offering in the blue envelopes today. Everything you put in those blue envelopes is going to go to Florida Baptist Children's Home to help children who don't have parents who are looking for adoption. So it's taking care of orphans and widows, the hungry, the sick, the elderly, the foreigner, and those oppressed by pop culture and evil governments. Now, what's so encouraging about being in this place and serving with all of you godly mothers is I've seen you all doing Those things. What a blessing to our city you are, to our church family, to your own family. I've seen a mother in this church take in immigrant children who have no parents. I've seen mothers in this church raising kids that aren't their own who have significant needs. I've seen mothers in this church adopting orphans into their families. I've seen mothers in this church teaching kids about Jesus patiently raising them up to love him. And I've seen mothers in this church caring for, cleaning after, cooking, delivering meals, spending time with widows this world has long forgotten. You mothers of history, you keep up the good work. You keep loving Jesus. You keep loving other people the way you love yourselves. And the testimony about God's goodness and his greatness will be strong in our city. We're going to move now into a time of invitation. This is a time for you to respond to whatever God has laid upon your heart. If you've not yet turned from your sin and trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, in a moment, everyone's going to stand. We're going to sing a song together. I want you to come forward during this time so I can pray with you and show you how to follow him. If you need to come for prayer, if you're sick, or you have something coming up that I can pray for you about, this will be a time for you to do that as well. Or if you have a decision weighing on your heart, please come forward so I can offer you encouragement. Would you all stand with me now as we have this time of decision? Heavenly Father, I pray over this time. First and foremost, God, I thank you for the mothers that you have placed in our lives, our own and those in this church. I pray a prayer of blessing over them, God, that you would do a great work in their lives. As we now move into this time of decision,